After a three-month hiatus, we return to the airwaves. I'm Mark Holt, and this is Gospel Doctrine. So glad to have you with me, those of you who are still listening. I know it's been quite a while since I've put anything out on the podcast, and I thought uh, this particular episode, I just spent a few minutes talking about what in the world happened to me. Uh, A number of you have been kind enough to reach out, and I hope to respond individually to each of you in the coming days. Uh, But this episode is all about me telling the COVID story of my family, my wife Kendra and me and now our new son, Kingston. So if you're interested in that story, listen on. I'm going to give you all the gory details, uh, but nothing gospel, well, not nothing, but uh, this is not a gospel-related podcast, and so you can you can safely skip it and not feel like you've missed anything scriptural. Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about is where we were at when we left off. Obviously, getting towards the end of the book of Third Nephi in the Book of Mormon. And it was a very special part of the scriptures for me. I was looking forward to the next few lessons that we had. And then, uh, and my wife was about 37 weeks pregnant. So the doctors had told her uh, all along, because of her age, she was over 40 years old, they said, look, you have a better chance if we take the baby a week early. So we were anticipating at week 39 going into the hospital and being induced. Now that was plan B. Plan A was for the baby to decide he wanted to come a little bit early. We wanted to have a natural childbirth. And in fact, we were sort of having faith. We were exercising faith that that is what would happen. And then plan C was if the induction failed and if the baby didn't come early, that we would have to have a a C-section which would be a planned C-section, what they call a primary C-section, because it's planned in advance. So that's where our minds were at at that time, as far as how the birth of our son, how we hoped and believed that it would occur. And we wanted, we really, really wanted to have this baby naturally. Kendra and I both had trained for it. We, we went to some classes, and she was looking forward to having a natural childbirth, if she could. And that would have meant that Kingston would, Kingston is our son's name. I haven't had a chance to talk about much about him yet, but that is what we ended up naming him. Uh, If he had come, or he would need to come at least a week early. And if he would, then we'd be able to have a natural childbirth. So about the middle of October, that was our plan and our hope, and we were praying for that. Meanwhile, Kendra was involved with what is called the 1820 the musical she was involved with the process of recording the soundtrack for that musical and as a little bit of background this is a musical that Kendra and her siblings and some other people have spent years developing and early in 2020 they finished their work on writing the musical writing the songs and began casting began uh, they they got a, a complete round of fundraising booked the theaters started with the sets and the costumes and this musical was a done deal it was meant to be 
a commemorative bicentennial celebration of the first vision. Uh, it is not a musical specifically about the first vision, but it is called 1820. It's about the life of Joseph and Emma Smith, and it's amazing. My wife and her siblings are the music writers, and they have done such a fantastic job. And then, obviously, the pandemic hit, and it, it was interesting. I had a little memory pop up on Facebook, and it was on March 11th, I believe, that I posted, hey, you know, my wife has done this amazing thing. She's done this amazing musical. If you like the idea behind this musical, why don't you buy a ticket and go see it? And then it was March 12th, the very next day, that that became unthinkable. Everyone, I remember thinking, what was I thinking yesterday? Because today, no one can imagine that anyone's going to go see that musical. Uh, all theaters began to close down. If you did want to go, you'd have to be... Nobody had figured out how to sell tickets and be social distanced yet. Uh, and by the way, I don't believe they have. They still haven't because I think theaters that are still open are losing money. They're staying open so that they can have a, some prospect of resurrecting their business when this is all over. But it's still really hard for theaters to make it work. And that was where it was. The, the musical was dead, effectively dead, until the end of the pandemic. And maybe about summertime they had the idea, you know what, people will keep asking us, they want to hear this music, let's create a soundtrack. And as private a process as it is to record in a studio, it was surprisingly hard to even do that much in the pandemic. And also that involved fundraising, another round of fundraising, and a lot of work. And my wife is pregnant as she was, at 37 weeks pregnant and before, was in the studio uh, conducting and listening. She has an ear that few people can match, and so uh, she was needed in the studio for much of the recording and the mixing of this music. And there were 19 songs on the soundtrack. So they were working very hard on this, and one particular recording session, there were uh, several people in the what's called the ensemble, which is when the whole cast is singing together. And they were all distanced, but singing, as we came to know later, is one of the most dangerous activities for spreading viruses. And so people had their masks on except when they were singing, and they were all distanced six feet from each other, but six feet isn't anywhere near enough. And there was a at least one person there who had COVID and, and didn't know it yet. So what happened was, uh, and I, my wife had been wanting me to stop by the studio and watch her work, and that was the night I chose to go, was ensemble night. And we both ended up getting COVID that night from uh, one of the recording sessions of her wonderful musical, 18, it's called 1820, the musical. And uh, the reason I mention it is be for a couple of reasons. One is I, I encourage you all to check it out. It's done now. The soundtrack is all finished. And secondly, I have permission from her and I, I, I asked her to get permission from the rest of the creative team and I hope that she has, but if she hasn't, she will. Uh, I asked her for permission to include the songs from the soundtrack next year in the, or this year, I guess, uh, in the uh, next year, <laughs> in the time period I'm talking about. Uh, when we come across the relevant sections in the Doctrine and Covenants, then I can include tracks from, from her soundtrack. And they're not spiritual, it's not hymn music, it's very much like a Broadway style musical, so uh, not all of it will be Sunday uplifting type music, but um, I will, at the end of the relevant uh, 
podcast episode, I'll include a track from 1820 The Musical, and so that'll happen at least 19 times in 2021. Um, and that's a little spoiler for the end of the episode here. Um, part of the news that I'm bringing to you is that I am going to come back. Uh, it, it's just, I'm explaining now why I took such a long hiatus. And so, um, but surprise, uh, we're, we're going to be bringing the podcast back. And I never planned to end it. It just, um, over the last several months, it's just one week goes by after the other. And I just haven't been able to get back to it. So, my wife and I, back to my story, my wife and I were in this recording session. We both caught COVID. Unfortunately, we didn't know it, and we did the same thing that, uh, you know, was done to us. Somebody, we, we showed up at an event and didn't know that we were in, possibly infecting other people. We had this couple in our ward, and they're older than we are, wonderful couple, um, and we we regret had always regretted that we didn't see them at our wedding reception and we just planned our wedding so fast that we weren't able to get everybody there that we had hoped um i gave kendra only five weeks of of time between proposal and 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 temple ceiling and so we didn't get our lists perfected and not everybody got an invite so we took this couple out to dinner and we said look we we really want to be friends with you guys we love you and then uh, as we were walking home, I, I started to have a little cough, and Kendra says, you know, Mark, I've been achy all day. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> this is not the time when you, when you uh, don't bring up something like this, and I, I just felt awful. So we had to call this couple and say, oh, well, anyway, that, that, that was a couple of days later. As we're going home, I'm, I'm listening to her symptoms, and I'm thinking about my own symptoms that are just barely coming up after dinner or during dinner. And uh, we spent a miserable night, an achy, achy night. And in the morning, or probably about four or five in the morning, I said, Kendra, all the symptoms that we're having, these are all COVID symptoms. We've got to get tested as soon as we can. So she immediately figured out how we could get tested. And uh, at 6.30 in the morning, we woke up, we went first thing and, and got our COVID test on a Wednesday. And we got our results back on a Thursday because Kendra was pregnant. That was rushed. Back then, you couldn't get them quite as fast. And so we found out right away, and we were positive. And it was hard. From the, I, I personally, my personal view on um, how people treat COVID is that uh, it shouldn't, you know, it, it's a pretty simple disease. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be as concerned about it as we are. And then I got it, you know, and so I still kind of think that. And I also recognize and I sympathize and empathize, in fact, uh, with people who get it worse than the average. Because it is, even though the average isn't so bad, when it's bad, it's pretty bad. As we discovered, so we both got a bad case. And Kendra was feeling awful. She had a, a fever and for several days and I was listening to her on the phone when she called the nurse and said when should I come into the hospital you know if I'm feeling bad and the nurse gave her certain criteria and I can't remember exactly what it was but you know if your fever gets to this particular point then that's when you come in and so Kendra for over the next several days was shy of that point and I kept pointing that out to her and I said the nurse said you know you don't need to come in you don't need to worry as much if you don't, if your fever doesn't get to this point. But she was so miserable that on Sunday she finally called and got a hold of a doctor. And the doctor said, Well, 
you know, your fever, the fact that it's not as high as that nurse said is all well and good, but I'm just listening to you talk. And I can tell you need to come into the hospital. So I took Kendra on Sunday to the emergency room. That was the Sunday that she was 37 weeks pregnant. And they did a test on her and discovered that she had pneumonia, double pneumonia in addition to having COVID, and which is a common, well, not common, but it's when your COVID is bad, that's kind of how it gets you is by giving you pneumonia. And so they admitted her to the hospital at that time. And so we were separated. She's going through this process of uh, suffering from her disease and not having me around and uh, not always even able to call me or talk to me. So feeling isolated and alone. The, then uh, the next day she got worse. And on Tuesday, uh, but the next day I also went into the hospital. Uh, that was a Monday. And they confirmed that I had, I went to the emergency room. They confirmed that I had pneumonia as well but they didn't admit me. They said, yours isn't quite bad enough. And it was just on the, uh, on the threshold where they would admit me, but I think they were anticipating a rise in patients. And so the fact that I was uh, mostly able to take care of myself, they, they refused to, or they declined, not refused, they declined to admit me at that time. About an hour after I left the hospital, my symptoms got a lot worse and stayed worse for weeks thereafter. And I didn't quite realize the import of that. I probably should have gone back in. But in any case, I was never admitted to the hospital. But my wife and I, our conditions were similar. The next day was a Tuesday, and in the morning I got a call from Kendra's doctor, and she kind of explained the situation and said, uh, we're concerned because Kendra's condition is worsening. We have given her an increased amount of oxygen to breathe and we're at the point where she's breathing 100% oxygen and it's, it's still dropping. Uh, we think that the baby, the fact the baby is as big as he is, oh the one thing I neglected to mention was our baby was bigger than average. In fact, uh, we were facing the prospect of Kendra, if she had gone to t full term at 40 weeks, uh, of giving birth to a baby at 11 pounds and when a baby gets over 11 pounds that's when they say uh, we should schedule a primary C-section for that reason because um, a baby over that size, his shoulders might be bigger than his head, and then it, it becomes dangerous to go through the birth canal. So we were facing that prospect, and uh, he so he was he was bigger than average for his time, uh, and he was they said because he's so large, or just because he's there, and he, you have a large mass in your abdomen, you have this baby there, he's pushing on your lungs and you're not getting a chance to get enough oxygen. And basically they said, you're, you're not gonna get better. The baby's only gonna get bigger. Your oxygen's only gonna get worse. You're, you have enough energy and you have enough general health right now to undergo a procedure, but in a few days or a week, we don't know how you'll be after having a lot of time of no oxygen, having the baby have a lot of time with no oxygen. And basically our recommendation is that we need to do a, an emergency c-section we need to do it right away and this was hard uh, this was very hard for Kendra and for me because we had different plans our life our plan was that we were going to have a, a natural birth and we were going to wait as long as we, up, up until right before the 39 weeks and then uh, our baby was going to decide to come a little bit early and we were going to have a natural childbirth 
or possibly go 39 weeks and have a an induced birth that might lead to a c-section and if that and that was sort of plan b and those were the two scenarios that we were prepared for and then we had to decide in that moment to do something totally different because it was at that time what became the best for our family and for my wife and for her baby and that was really tough it was mostly tough on Kendra she and I share this story with her permission uh, she was heartbroken that she had prepared and and she knew not because it was best for her but she knew it was best for the baby to have uh, the opportunity to come naturally because of the many benefits that he'd get from being born through the birth canal through uh, and the the experience of bonding that she'd have etc uh, nevertheless, we did choose to have our C-section that day. And because, not only be, for this reason, but among other things, because I had COVID, I was not allowed in the hospital. And because Kendra had COVID, she was taken from the emergency room to the COVID ward. And every day they had several groups of doctors that were meeting about her case. Her case was sort of unique at that time they didn't have they probably have had several more cases like her since then but we haven't been in touch with them but she was late-term pregnancy covid pneumonia and oxygen going down so she had uh, high-risk maternal fetal medicine doctors she had her gynecologist OBGYN. she had a communicable disease specialist she had an internal medicine uh, an internist and they would each meet, they would all get together and meet about Kendra's case and discuss what was going on. We were very grateful. We had excellent care the whole time. Uh, but on that particular day, they all agreed that the best course of action was for Kendra to have emergency surgery. And um, she was in the COVID ward, which meant that every time anyone came into her room, they were dressed in a suit. It's almost like a space suit, uh, not hermetically sealed around all of the the limbs, but certainly around the head, the the head was encased in a uh, almost like a helmet. It's a positive pressure gas bag, basically with a plastic front, and there was a unit on their waist constantly blowing air into the bag, and then it was bleeding out the sides of the face, so no air could ever come in. It could only move out, and so Kendra had no human contact for several days and then uh, had to go to surgery by herself. And because they wanted her in the more, uh, let's say the more serious OR, there was one OR where I could possibly have gone to observe the surgery, but that was closer to the maternal ward. They had her in the main OR, which was no visitors and certainly no visitors with COVID. Luckily, we had a nurse who was willing to FaceTime me during the surgery and uh, my, my wonderful sister, Katie, who had had COVID already, had been taking care of us a little bit at home. And she heard what was going on and she came over to my house. And uh, as I was observing the surgery, as the surgery began, uh, she and I had this FaceTime call uh, cast up onto my TV on the wall. So I'm watching my wife, you know, go through this experience on TV and my sister is recording 
on her phone, she's taking video of what's going on, what I'm experiencing, what's what Kendra's experiencing. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, it, it was only maybe a couple of weeks ago that Kendra and I finally sat down and watched that video because before that it had been too painful. But uh, so I watched my son be taken out of my wife's body and, uh, you know, a lot of blood. And uh, if you've ever observed a, a C-section, it was pretty routine from the doctor's perspective, I'm sure. But uh, it was it was quite an emotional experience for both of us. And then Kendra was immediately taken to the intensive care unit. The baby was given a COVID test, but he was very healthy. And so he because they didn't know the results of his test, he couldn't go to the nursery. And because they didn't know the results of his test, he couldn't go be with his mom. So out of fear that he didn't have it, couldn't go with with Kendra and out of fear that he did have it he couldn't go into the nursery so our baby his first two days of life was in a hospital room by himself and uh, thankfully we were given the opportunity to choose two people who could go visit him and so uh, Kendra's wonderful cousin Carrie Lynn and my own mother were the people that we chose and they went and were able to visit him but he was alone a fair amount of the time for those first two days and Kendra meanwhile Kendra is recovering from her both her surgery and her lack of oxygen in the ICU and I am at home not realizing at the time that I uh, was probably having the same symptoms that Kendra was uh, oxygen wise obviously not pregnancy wise but miserable and uh, fatigued very fatigued and having uh, FaceTime calls and being able to see people visit my son, but not knowing yet that, uh, not knowing yet the bond that would eventually develop. And that was very hard as well. On Thursday, that was on Tuesday, the surgery. And on Thursday, uh, Kendra looked up and her doctor poked her head into her room, her, her OB, and said, I have a visitor for you, and then opened the door the rest of the way, and that was when Kendra met Kingston for the first time. We, we named our son Kingston Charles Holt. Kingston for fun, and Charles because we, as a, an ancestral name on both sides of the family. And uh, Kendra was surprised. They had just, her team had met again that morning, and there had been indications that it might even be a week or more uh, even two weeks before Kendra could see her baby because uh, of everything that was going on and just because out of fear that she would infect him with COVID, his his test had come back negative. Um, but my but my, my wife's wonderful doctor, she made sort of an executive decision and said, there's no way that I'm putting Kendra through that. So kind of on her own recognizance, she went in and snatched the baby out of his room and just brought him to see his mother and said, we're getting you two out of here today. And that had its own challenges. So that afternoon, that was a Thursday, I went and picked them up at the hospital. And uh, again, another emotional time meeting my son for the first time. And I've, uh, as I've mentioned many times on the program, I was 46 when I got married for the first time. So 47 years old, my first child and uh, just going through all the feelings like uh, sometimes I thought this day would never come and 
uh, I couldn't hold him. We were given the direction, the, the orientation that we should not remove our masks around the baby and not touch him without washed hands. So for the first week after we brought him home, Kendra and I both were, I was coughing an awful lot. In fact, I went, at one point I coughed so much that I fainted from lack of air. And, and uh, I would go outside. We have a deck uh, outside of our master bedroom. And so if I could, I would get up and go out on the deck and cough there. And at one point I remember picking myself up off of the deck because I had coughed so much that I ran out of air and fainted. Um, so we did, we, we did not have a typical case of COVID. We had a pretty severely and pretty severe pneumonia as well. In fact, when I went into the emergency room, they, they scanned my lungs and they said, we, this looks exactly like COVID. We confirmed the diagnosis of COVID that you had from your test. And it also looks exactly like a tumor. So we want you to come back in three months and uh, we just want to confirm out of an abundance of caution that you did in fact have COVID and don't have a tumor. Now, I have no doubt that it was uh, it was COVID. and But what I've heard in the interim is that COVID uh, can have a lasting effect on your lungs. And so that's probably what they were seeing. Uh, in any case, that was kind of how we were for the first week with him. We wore a mask even to have him uh, in bed with us. We'd hold him and couldn't kiss him. And, and uh, we had to be very careful where we breathed. We did not want to infect our son with what we had. So that was hard. And after a week of that, I said to Kendra, I said, I, I don't care what happens. I can't wear this mask anymore. I think it's making me worse. Uh, we just weren't getting better. It was a probably two weeks after he came home that Kendra and I continued to suffer some serious symptoms. Um, we had a wonderful ward and wonderful friends, a wonderful support system, let's put it that way. It, would, it included members of our ward, family, and friends, all beloved people who were worried about us and immediately sprang to our aid. Very few of them could actually come in the house. My sister was one of them because she'd re had and recovered from COVID. And her wonderful daughter who came in, even though she hadn't recovered from COVID, but just decided to take the risk to take care of us. Um, but we had so many people bringing meals and, and offering help. And um, the, the most common scenario was that someone would drop off a meal on our doorstep and I would have the energy to get out of bed and go pick it up and put it in the fridge and then go back up to bed. Uh, and I just thought to myself, and this was, it seemed like a totally reasonable thought in the condition I was in, I will eat tomorrow. I don't have the energy to even put that on a plate and heat it up right now. I will eat tomorrow. And that is, I mean, and then, you know, obviously we didn't not eat, but it was quite often where we just didn't have the energy to even heat up the food that people had lovingly prepared and brought over for us. Uh, and so it was very special when we had uh, family or friends who could actually come into our home and help us. And that's how we spent the next two weeks was just being in this state of intense fatigue and coughing and pain and fever and trying our best to sleep when we had a new baby. 
so obviously, um, the, I tell you all this not to get sympathy because we're better now. Um, I, I, I suppose I should have started with that. We don't have, as far as I know, we don't have lasting effects of the virus, although I have noticed that when I try to sing in church, for example, I don't have quite the breath, the amount of breath that I, di- I, that I used to. I can't sing quite as long. So it may be that uh, the shortness of breath that the people talk about is still going on. But other than that, and that's pretty minor, other than that, we don't have lasting effects from this virus. And Kingston himself was, was in perfect health from the first day. So I tell you this story, not so that uh, you'll worry about us, there's nothing to worry about, we're fine, but just so that you would know that uh, my podcast does indeed mean a lot to me. You, my listeners, and I imagine there are fewer of you now than there used to be, but you, if anyone hearing my voice now means you're still a subscriber and you're willing to listen to this big long story, it means that um, you have selected, you've self-selected as somebody who really cares about what happens to me and my family. And so uh, I want you to know that my podcast means a lot to me. I have spent years of my life and hours, tons of hours every week to give you the best that I can. And it is a labor of love. And it's not just love of the scriptures, but it's also love of the people that that I hear about that are listening. Uh, and you know who you are. I've talked to many of you personally. I have a friend in my ward who told me about a listener. Here's a shout out. I like to give shout outs when I hear about the podcast from people that I don't know. So uh, Rachel Haney, you mentioned that you love listening to my podcast to someone in my ward. She came to me and said, uh, by the way, we have a mutual friend, somebody who listens to you, and she really cares about whether you're okay and whether you're going to come back. Um, that is one small example, and I'll give more shout-outs as, as the weeks go by. But many people reached out via email, via kind inquiries about our health, and I just want you all to know that uh, we appreciate it. And that word just is so small for the way that we felt. I want to share something, and this is of a spiritual nature, to kind of close out my story and I realize I went on a lot longer than I thought I would but this is a it's kind of a long story and uh, to, to hear about our family's experience around the birth of our son but this is the most special part I believe and that is as soon as we made it known that we tested positive and that we were suffering symptoms we had an outpouring of notifications from people hey we are praying for you And I'm sure that you've all had people tell you at various points in your life, we're praying for you, I'm praying for you, or I said a prayer for you. And I've had that happen to me at several points in my life, and I never had the reaction that I had during this time. During the time when we had COVID, I, every time I would hear that, it was as if somebody had just told me that, Uh, They had made a huge sacrifice for me and that it would change the course of my life forever. I I had an upwelling of powerful emotion of overwhelming gratitude. And 
that continued. It continued for all of the weeks that we had COVID. And the interpretation that I had for it, that I, that I still believe, is that that was the answer to the prayer. Is that in response to all of the prayers that were being offered for us, God allowed me to feel the gratitude that I should feel for the way that we were being cared for and treated in the minds of those who loved us. So that includes members of our ward, includes members of our family, our friends, and it includes listeners to my podcast who included us in their prayers. Every time I heard about somebody praying for us, I just thought that prayer is so meaningful. That prayer might have been the difference between uh, a, a group of doctors who made a good recommendation and a group of doctors who didn't make that recommendation or a successful surgery and an unsuccessful one. Uh, a healthy baby who came out and a baby who had complications. I'll never know what physical effect those prayers had, but I, I do know that the spiritual effect on me was unmistakable, that I was able to con- be basically for almost three weeks, I existed in a state of continuous gratitude. And I can only ascribe it to the fact that so many people were praying for us. And I knew there were a lot of people uh, because every time I would get a text message or a call, it would be somebody on the other end saying, we are worried about you, we're concerned about you, and you are in our prayers. We've let our family know. Uh, We have a dear friend who is closely related to someone uh, in a in a very highly placed quorum of the church and and this friend let us know that uh, the this particular quorum of church leadership had put us on their prayer roll and it just so happened that the time that they told us they would be praying for us coincided with Kendra's OB deciding to bring our son in to see Kendra and that Kendra and Kingston would be coming home instead of staying in the hospital for two more weeks. So we have had many evidences that the power of prayer is real in our own lives and many reasons to be grateful for the love and for the concern that all of you has sh- have shown for us. So that's our COVID story. Thank you for listening to all of it. Uh, I wanted to share it in its entirety and in all the details. I actually recorded an earlier version of this podcast. And my wife, when she heard me describe it, she said, you didn't put in any of the good details. You didn't let them know that we had pneumonia. You didn't even tell them that. And uh, so I had made a 15-minute episode talking about kind of why I stepped away from from recording for a while. And she said, no, your listeners, they, they've been praying for us. They really want to hear the details. So if this story, this is not my nature to try to go on too long with a story. So if this story went on too long, it's my wife's fault. She insisted that I tell the complete version. But hopefully some of you will appreciate knowing all of those little details. What are my plans for the... And and uh, finally, let me repeat, thank you. For those of you who have cared 
about the podcast enough to pray for us or to reach out and let me know or let somebody who knows me know that you, you want it to come back. All of those messages are so appreciated. And for those of you who haven't been aware of what's going on in my life, I offer my apologies. You know, after we recovered from COVID, which we did, we recovered and by late November we were fine. Uh, but we still had never caught up on our sleep. I'm sure those of you who've had a small child know. And we were just, we're new parents and we're in our 40s. And it just, and I've got two businesses that I'm trying to get off the ground. And so it just never felt like I had enough time to get back to my podcast after that. And I regret that, obviously, but I just couldn't do it. And, and finally, uh, I think for whatever reason, things have now calmed down enough or I've gotten enough in control of my schedule to, to be able to commit again to doing this on a weekly basis. In fact, in order to catch up, because that's what I was going to say, on an ongoing basis, um, it's always been my intent that this podcast would be something that would last. It's not just so that weekly you can have an exposure to the Come Follow Me lesson, but it's also so that 12 years from now, as we, rep- as we repeat this four-year cycle for who knows how long it will last, the, the Come Follow Me curriculum, you'll be able to go back to these lessons and listen to them in order. And so this is a considered decision, but uh, my decision is that I will continue to where I left off and do the podcast lessons in order. And that means that it's going to take some work from me to catch up. I do believe that the next several episodes will be shorter than normal. Uh, but that will be the format. So I will, I will pick up where I left off in the, in the late stages of the Book of Mormon and finish out the year as if I had recorded them last year. And when I'm done with that, I will begin the Doctrine and Covenants. And so that means if I want to catch up in any sort of normal time frame, I've got to do at least two episodes a week and maybe more. So the The schedule will be kind of sporadic, or I should say kind of irregular. Uh, There may be two episodes a week. There may be three for the next several weeks. And once we've caught up, then uh, we'll go back to the weekly format of an hour of, uh, I'll shoot for 45 minutes to an hour a week. Uh, That is the plan for Gospel Doctrine. We're going to be back. I'm going to also, I resolve to catch up on uh, the website and uh, have a page for every episode. I want to say another thank you to Paul Castro, who, even though I have sort of dropped off the planet and he's had very little communication from me, he's continued to do his wonderful transcriptions, and some of which I have not yet even uh, managed to get online. And so he's done sort of a thankless task. And he is a, he, he's a 100% volunteer on this, and uh, I, I just don't know how to thank him for everything that he does. He's a source of real encouragement to me, and uh, there are many of you who've, who fall into that category, but of him today I thought I would more particularly make mention. So I'm grateful for the power of prayer. I'm grateful for the love that all of you have shown me, and those of you who are listening, I'm grateful that you're still around. Uh, I used to, I'm sure I had a lot more listeners. I'm sure that listenership has fallen off quite a bit. So I would love it if you'd spread the word again. 
However, uh, I don't care as much how many listeners I have because if I had, I, I don't suppose I'd do it for one person, but if I if I had a, a dozen listeners, I would still do the podcast because uh, each one of you is so important. And if I can reach one person, if I can reach a dozen people, it's worth my time. It's worth the effort that I put into it, that that you could understand the scriptures a little bit better, I hope. That's my goal, at least. And that you could feel closer to the Savior, I hope. That's my goal. So I leave that story with you. I leave that testimony, the power of prayer with you. And I leave my gratitude, most of all, with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This has been Gospel Doctrine, a nonprofit podcast hosted and produced by Mark Holt with bumper music by Kendra Holt. Gospel Doctrine is not affiliated with nor endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.